This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Wayne. And we're going to talk about uh, the Slithering Shadow. I keep wanting to call it Zuthal of the Dusk, but um, it's I think it's better as the Slithering Shadow. I think that's a better title. Yeah, I, um, I like that better myself. Yeah, it's by Robert E. Howard, first published in Weird Tales, September 1933, uh, adapted to comics a couple of times, and you've just finished recording an audiobook version of it. I have. Hmm. So, had you read this Conan story before? I hadn't. As a matter of fact, um, it's my actually my first exposure to Robert E. Howard. Uh, really? Yeah, I've known of him forever, but I've never read anything of his before. So, this is my first story that I've ever read by him. Well, uh, let me um, give you uh, what Fritz Leiber thought of this story. Okay. He says, he says it is, quote, repetitious and childish, a self-vitiating brew of pseudoscience, stage illusions, and the genuine supernatural. Um, rating it amongst the worst of the Conan story. So if this is the worst, um, I hope you liked it a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I, uh, I agree with Fritz in a way. It was kind of really? childish. And, um, you know, it's, you notice it when you're reading it out loud. But uh, a, lot of, a lot of things... Uh, are, are repeated over and over and over again. Uh, you know, uh, Con- oh Conan! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did, did you pick up on that? Oh my God! Because uh, he, uh, I, what I decided when I was recording it, it was like, uh, you know, I'd be reading along, and I'm like, oh come on, not another oh Conan! And she, he has that character say oh Conan about like a dozen times. So what I did <laughs> was I uh, recorded a whole bunch of oh oh Conans, and then <laughs> then I uh, uh, saved my favorite one, and then, <laughs> then I punched it in every time she. Oh wow! Okay. Every time she says it, because I just I thought it was worth. Uh, uh, it, 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 <laughs> it, Robert would have wanted it that way, I think. Yeah. Um. So, I I would agree th- with uh, Liber a little bit. It's uh, amongst my least favorite Conan stories. Yeah. Uh, but I still think it's pretty pretty damn fun. And one of the things that I think uh, nobody's really picked up on, and at least in the research that I've done is that I think uh, Robert E. Howard's having some fun uh, with a certain genre that um, he normally doesn't play in. Um, but this is there's another story by Howard uh, with Conan. It's almost exactly the same plot. Um, there's a guy and a girl out in the desert. Um, they are fleeing from some troops or somebody who's after them. I think it's pirates this time. <laughs> and they're out in the desert, and then they find an abandoned city <laughs> that nobody's been to. Wow. And they, they have to break in. Um, there's a big fight, you know, inside. Uh, the society's completely decadent within. And then they escape back into the desert. And that's the exact same, you know, setup. That one's called um, uh, the uh, Red Nails. And uh, it's it's quite different, even though it has the exact same setup. Okay. Um, and I think the reason it's so different is, uh, although you see that in this book, um, that, you know, Conan's very, um, 
dismissive of the people <laughs> in the city. Absolutely. Um, as I think we're supposed to be. Um, and yeah, they're they're kind of monstrous. In the same way, in the in Red Nails, the people there are degenerate as well. Okay. But in a different way. In here, they're all like drug drug addled drug addicts who spend all their time in dopey hazes. Right. I'd, pr- um, I'd probably get along with them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I like dreaming. <laughs> uh, but uh, they also, in that other story, in Red Nails, they also have a high technology. Like, they have, like, basically lasers. Um, they don't. I don't think they have radium light bulbs that you, you know, <laughs> rub to the right to turn on and rub to the left to turn off. But they have they have this old high technology, and the society has sort of degenerated down. In addition, they also have um, the same food technology that they have in this book. You know, uh, they, they don't they, need to go outside. Yeah, they manufacture their own from uh, from what was it, the primal elements? I think. Right. <laughs> it's like they have a replicator on Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. Um, so, aside from the parallels. Um, there are quite a few differences. The girl in that book, um, she's much uh, much more active. She's not uh, Conan's uh, harem slave exactly. Okay. She's she's a fellow pirate. She um, she kicks a lot of ass, cuts a lot of people. I mean, uh, Natala does a couple of uh, cuts in here as well. She has a, a few pieces that aren't just that, oh, Conan sort of <laughs> situation. But uh, in the other story, the main female lead is much more active. Yeah. Um, um, the, the thing that struck me about her, she was kind of uh, the antithesis of, of the other female character. The other female character yeah. was, uh, you know, very, uh, uh, I don't know how, what word to, to look for here. Uh, uh, devious, maybe you know, con- mm-hmm. c- controlling, self-interested, whereas the uh, slave girl character uh, has an opportunity to uh, dispatch the, uh, the the sleeping resident of the city there, mm-hmm. uh, which probably would have been a good idea because they didn't want she didn't want to leave her with any opportunity to wake up and sound the alarm, but she couldn't bring herself to do it. Right, yeah. There's there's uh, actually a lot of depth behind the shallowness in this in this story. Uh, one, one, so one of the things that's strange, and if you if you've not read a lot of Howard before, um, Conan is really grumpy in this. Usually he's, I mean, he can be he can be depressed. He you know he has some stories in which you know really depressing things happen. He's sort of just you know really depressed for a while. <laughs> he can be. <laughs> Uh, full of gigantic mirth, which he gets a bit at the end with that, you know, final line about she's only human. She was only human. <laughs> um, you know, he, there's there's some humor to him. There's some sadness to hear. But in this, he's very he's just grumpy from the beginning. Yeah, that, that, uh, that was the kind of the first impression I got from him, too. Like I said, this being my first Robert E. Howard, my first mm-hmm. Conan, really, uh, my first introduction to Conan. I'm like. Wow, this this guy's what a grumpy. Yeah, he's a he's a curmudgeon. I like him. <laughs> well, the, he's curmudgeonly, and I couldn't understand why because I've read all all the Howard Conan now. I think at this point, um, and he is not. I mean, he's just grumpy from page one. One of the things that happens is, you know, he gives the girl um, 
the last of the water, and then he throws the canteen away. It's like, well, dude, what if you're going to, you know, you're going to wander off for another day. Maybe you could find something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, and then they get into the city, and they, he can't immediately get access to the water at the bottom. Well, so he cuts a guy's head off and throws the guy and the head down the well. Yeah, you're not, <laughs> like, you're not, you're not, poisoning the well, you're, right? you're not thinking ahead, Conan. Yeah, he's not. He's he's just he's like he's grumpy from page one, and it just continues on. Right when they find the meal, he she she yells at him, or he yells at her for you know grabbing his sword arm, <laughs> and then when she's like, oh, what if it's poison? And he's like, no, and he shoves her down into the chair. Later on, he slaps her on the ass. Right, like yeah, um, he's he is he is a sexist uh, oh. and all that, but he's particularly grumpy in here. So yeah, I was I was like, why is he so grumpy? He's never this grumpy in other stories, and I I think other people have noticed it, but um, I don't think they understand exactly why. And I think it's because Howard's doing something really really funny. Um, I think that this is a gothic horror, a gothic horror literature story where this barbarian hero who wouldn't have anything to do with gothic horror has been shoveled into this castle, you know, with haunted, <laughs> haunted, um, a monster somewhere lurking in the basement. And, uh, you know, like there's so many of the tropes that fit, uh, the gothic horror that it, it it's almost, it has to be that. Yeah. That's I, yeah, so I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, uh, I wouldn't have picked up on that, but now that you mention it, uh, I think you're right. I, I did get a sense that he was uh, definitely um, having fun with the thing because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of silliness in it. You know, there's a lot of so much silliness. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, he, he he's uh, or maybe this is just indicative of the time or something. I don't know of the 30s, but uh, no. you know, he, he's a he's an absolute uh, sexist, and the the women are are written like uh cartoon characters you know that that that's that's where i had the most fun with it it was that you know i I didn't know what to expect um i got pretty much early on i got the sense that uh this isn't going to be the kind of thing that's going to be reminding me of my mortality so it's not a you know it's 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 not a a down and out um uh horrors Story in that uh, it uh, you know underlines the possible um, uselessness of existence. It's not that kind of thing. It's it's car- uh, it's cartoony, you know. Yeah, it is very it, well. Pulpy is the word for it, right? Right. Um, yeah. But a lot of the elements that are sort of clunky in this story, I think, are because it is done as a, I think, as a gothic uh, horror. It's a gothic horror, you know, haunted castle story in which. Conan, who is not that kind of character, is is thrust, and so he's like he's kicking and stre- screaming all the way through the, the plot. <laughs> so, and, uh, like, so he's he's thinking in the back of his mind through the whole thing. He's thinking bad casting, bad casting. <laughs> yes, exactly. He's like, this is not right. <laughs> I don't want to be on this set. Right? And so one of, like one of the things that gives it away is that you know trap doors like. There's uh, one trap door where he just, he, after, you know, pretty deep into the plot, I, I guess there's a chapter turn, um, and Conan's just finished chopping off, you know, 20 guys' heads, thrusting, you know, the ch- chopping their limbs to bits and you know, <laughs> thrusting 
up to the hilt through their bodies and killing their king. And then, and then he wanders into a room and there's a lady standing there on another divan right? yeah. <laughs> or yeah. sitting on another divan. And he's like, hey, what's going on? And then she just like pulls a silken cord and he falls through the floor. Yep. Yep. Conveniently, <laughs> right into the place where he needs to be. Right, exactly. Yeah, that is so gothic <laughs> horror novel because it, it the it's like, here's a haunted castle, right, with hidden... Uh, you know, passageways. Uh, Natalia gets stolen by Thalys through a hidden passageway that can't, Conan can't find. There's the trap door, right? And everything sort of just is convolutedly like unplotted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But coincidence, coincidence, coincidence. So all that stuff is elements of it. But also, there's a, uh, as you know, you know this story, a really great Edgar Allan Poe story. Uh, that's gothic, called um, the Oval Portrait, mm-hmm. and you remember how that one begins? Sure. Uh, wounded soldier or a wounded main character is taken into the castle, uh, laid down in a bed, and we hear that it it's the it's the the castle has been very recently and uh, hurriedly abandoned, um, and we get the sense that like there's still food on the table, you know, not eaten. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's, you know, like candles just sort of uh, the bed's still warm. Right. The, there's candles with like little smoke coming off of them as if they've just been blown out. Um, that's exactly what we see at the beginning of this. We've got uh, they come in. There's a dead man. Right. Lying on the ground. They go check the well and then the dead man comes back to life. Yeah. Yeah. They kill him. They move on and they see a, a table all set with food ready to be eaten. But no, nobody there. Then they move on. There's another guy lying on a on a divan or you know, a bed, and he. They look at him for a minute, and then a big shadow comes and takes him away and leaves one spot of blood. <laughs> right? It's exactly the sort of things that happen in you know a haunted castle. And sure, in- that makes me wonder if uh, if he used a any one particular. Uh, story as as a model, or is, yeah. did he just use you know the the standard uh, the standard uh, little tricks here and there? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not I, I'm not sure how how familiar would he he would have been with the like. There's a book called The Monk uh, that's that's like you know it's got a giant. I think that's the one with a giant head of a uh, what is it a knight's helmet. And it like falls from the center. Um, there's a lot of things that are mentioned about this city that are also not seen, right? Like Thog lives in a giant dome at the center of the of the castle, mm-hmm. the palace. Actually, that's the other thing that it was cluing me into that it's a gothic. Is uh, Thalys says oh, it's not actually a city; it's one giant palace, right? Right. Which. You know, is it, it is it's a haunted castle, right? Rather than, um, you know, just a, a fortified city. It's just one big castle. Yeah, and you, and you're right too. And the more I think about it, since you mentioned it, it's uh, it, it does have all the trappings of of the uh, uh, you know a gothic haunted uh, mansion. You know, the the uh, the tapestries and behind mm-hmm. behind which there's a there's the the secret door that they escape through. And uh, it, 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 it's got all those. So that's an, another thing that I found interesting about it was um, 
He kind of uh, switched gears, I thought, but I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. When he got into the uh, the action scenes and, and des- mm. describing Thog, uh, mm-hmm. he, he, he really left Sword and Sorcery and Haunted Castles behind and jumped right into H.P. Lovecraft. It was, it, yeah. he, he was, you could tell uh, that, that that was almost like a, uh, you know, a, a, a Howard Phillips Lovecraft tribute little piece. It was just, oh, absolutely, yeah. Done great, too. Um, I, I, again, that's a, you know, you know, you know Lovecraft very, very well. You're intimately tied to his <laughs> works, I think. But, um, one thing that Lovecraft is not well known for is his men of action, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So when Conan deals with a Lovecraftian monster, he doesn't like, oh my God, and faints, right? Yep. <laughs> Instead, he jumps onto it and starts hitting it and biting it with his sword and his. Uh, yeah, biting mouth. it. I loved that part. He sunk his teeth into it at one time. Yep. <laughs> Indeed. Great. It, 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 men- it comes up a couple of times. He's got strong teeth. Do, does uh, Thog ever reappear in any, anything? From, no. Uh, no? That's a shame. No. That's a shame. Yeah, well, he he kind of uses up everybody. There's I don't think there's anybody who repeats other than Conan. Yeah. And in fact, uh, this is the interesting thing. We learn a lot about what, what Sumerians are like from, from what Conan you know, says about Samaria, right? In my land, uh, no man is turned away hungry. In and he says something like, he, he he's sort of passive aggressive when he meets that that sleeping guy who wants to take Natala to his his bed. <laughs> that was a um, that was a great scene. Yeah, he says he says, oh, we just came into this crazy city and, uh, you know, we ate some food and you you probably expect us to pay for it, but in my country. Nobody's turned away from food. Never have to pay for it if they're hungry. Yep, but uh, but, but but civilized people like you expect your payment. expect your payment. I'm sure. That's uh, right. If uh, if you're like the other uh, others I've met of your kind, you know that kind. Of thing. Exactly. So Conan is always like contrasting his people and his uh, thing against everyone else. But in all of all of Howard's writings about uh, Conan. We never meet another Sumerian. It's like there there are no other ones. It's we we meet you know Aqu- we we hear about Aquilonia. We go there. We hear about you know Zamora. We go there, right? We visit all sorts of other places. But he tends to dispose of uh, characters pretty quickly. I mean, <laughs> uh, the Valeria. She's the female hero in. Um, Red Nails, which is sort of the mirror to this story. Okay, that's the one also set in a, a city on the edge of a desert um, that's been shut up and you know gone away from other society. In that book, the the thing that's going on in the city is they're having like a blood feud, and instead of like dying from lack of reproduction, they're dying from you know just killing each other off. They've been having this blood feud, blood feud for like. 200 years or something wow that's that's kind of uh that's kind of an hg wells trick mm-hmm mm-hmm he's a, he's a real smart guy there's a lot of uh, stuff going on under the surface of this and i i i heard a really interesting analysis of why um why the drug element is so heavy in this even though you know conan's use of drugs in here is basically just drinking that green or the 
yellow wine, the golden wine yep. that heals him, the healing potion, right? <laughs> um, uh, I heard a really interesting thesis um, saying that the uh, because his father, Conan's father was a doctor, uh, not Conan's father, Howard's father was a doctor, and he lived in a s- small Texas town during the uh, oil boom. Mm-hmm. Um, he was very familiar with what happens when there's a an oil boom in a place where there wasn't suddenly. It means a whole lot of people move in. Yeah, like uh, the, to, a, a frontier type of uh, um, uh, type of atmosphere. Yeah, gold rush sort of thing, right? Yeah, um, a whole bunch of people move in, and then um, drugs. People start. Uh, using drugs and this is true in Canada right now there's a place called Fort McMurray where there was a big fire last uh, uh, this summer actually I think it was or was it in the spring um, a huge fire uh, this is a city that sort of sprung up um, quite suddenly after the oil sands uh, became even more profitable than they they were and uh, there's a drug problem up there right it's just you know, if you've got a whole lot of men working in a remote location, working long hours, um, when they get their time off, there's not a lot to do. Not as many women as they'd, they'd like, not in a lot of theaters, right? No. Nope. Um, and drugs are uh, very profitable when you've got a lot of guys who are getting well paid and have nothing to spend money on. Right. So um, the theory is that Howard, because his father was a doctor, saw a lot of people even in like in his high school, getting addicted to heroin. Wow, interesting. Um, yeah, and of course it's it, it's it, the degeneracy that's going on here. What Conan calls the morons. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but the the technology that they ca- they came from, right? The the fact that they can manufacture food out of out of raw uh, elements. They can uh, they have lights that you know don't seem to require power. They've got high technology, but they're degenerating. That's this thesis that Conan, or not Conan, Howard's always going on about yep. in all his works. You know, the, the the barbarian is much stronger and much fitter than the degenerating civilized person. And here's the proof, right, in this, this, um, this book. And uh, I, I think it's really... Um, like what Thallus says about her experience, mm-hmm. it's it's sort of she, and I guess the way Howard writes it is very underplayed. But I noticed in the I don't know if you got a chance to see it, but the Fred Van Lente adaptation for Dark Horse Comics, um, I thought did a really good job of showing you what she's saying. Yep. Did you see the scene where she's talking about when she was brought to the city when Thallus was brought to the city? Um, and she mentions how she was initiated into the cult of Derketa. Yeah, right? and how, uh, uh, you know, uh, this isn't my first rodeo, pal. I've been through yeah. it. I've been through it, you know. Uh, but uh, but nonetheless, I believe she says something like uh, uh, the the people here in this city. He's She's warning uh, Conan to get the... Uh, the other girl get rid of her, you know, cut off her head because she's jealous and all that. But um, yeah, but she's uh, she's like um, spare her because if these people wake up, uh, you know, 
uh, as as jaded and experienced as I am, they showed me tricks I never knew before. You know, <laughs> right? So, but, like, it makes you think that she's like a monster, and she's just jealous of uh, the girl, and and I think that's true as well. But uh, in the Fred Van Lente version, they like they show what she's talking about, sort of explicated a little more. There's like a line of men ready to, you know lined up beside the bed oh nice it's like it's like a gangbang <laughs> and you know she's uh, it, they don't depict it in the comic but she says she came here when she was a girl yeah right yeah and this is like a horror show right it's a horror show hidden behind a few words but yeah i, I was uh, uh surprised at um how uh how licentious it was, uh, you know, the scene where, uh, she finally gets, uh, uh, Thallus finally gets, gets the girl. What's the, what's the girl's name? Uh, Natala. Natala, right. Uh, she finally, uh, captures Natala away from Conan and she's going to take her down and feed her to the monster. But, uh, before she does that, she wants to get her licks in, so to speak. So she, mm. she, uh, strips her naked, ties her up and, and beats her with a whip. <laughs> yep. You know, I'm like, wow, who, that's, <laughs> who, that's the cover, who, right? That's the cover of weird tales. Yeah. Uh, but you know, uh, uh, who is this story intended for? You know, that that's kind of where I all it's men, <laughs> <laughs> I guess. And, 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 and maybe, you know, that was considered uh, racy, racy entertainment in the thirties or something, but it, it was just like yeah, a, pretty a, racy, yeah. pretty racy. Um, they had, they had a lot of magazines back then that were uh, basically all that, right? Well, we get a little bit more other than, uh, other than the sex. And there's, there is a lot of sex sort of, uh, in that, but I'm like I'm becoming more and more uh, as I reread and listen to the story. I'm becoming more and more sympathetic to Thallus. Um, one of the uh, I'm not sure that she was going to whip whip Natala before the um, before the uh, girl knifed her before before Natala knifed uh, Thallus. I don't think she was going to whip her. I think she was just going to you know tie her up and wait for Thog to eat her. Right. All right, but because, it, but she had she had to get back at her because you know how dare you stab me? <laughs> right, right. How da- yeah? I mean, I don't like getting stabbed. <laughs> <laughs> me neither. Um, but she's also been taught, um, like uh, this is not Natala, but um, Thallus has been taught to be like pretty hard and pretty cruel. Yeah. Right. Um, her saying, you know, Conan, you should. Uh, Abandon this girl, you know, knife her now, and we can take this city. This is, uh, like, I think this is Thallus's idea of, finally, I've got a chance at revenge, right? Mm-hmm. I've got a chance to not be, sh- she says, I'm a queen, right? A, a Stygian queen. And after uh, after growing up in this city with all these uh, uh, dope doped out uh, morons <laughs> yep. uh, she finally she has a chance to get her king now yeah so. and when that girl gives her the knife she's actually I mean she doesn't say it's a mercy for you uh, at that point but she she's also she doesn't really talk to Natala as a, as a person as much as like a child but she does say things like that to Conan uh, you know she's not hard enough for this place. Right. Um, and so when, 
when Thallus gets her comeuppance uh, from Thog, which is a pretty gruesome scene, even though it's off stage. Yep. Um, one one person said that it was it was like uh, Thog doesn't just eat you; he rapes you first. Yep, yep, I got that. There's definitely a, a kind of a an implied undercurrent of that there, mm-hmm. which is also in Lovecraft too. <clears throat> I think it's very implied and not. Um, but uh, you know, <laughs> I guess you get that in Star uh, Star Wars too. It's the Return of the Jedi when. Uh, Boba Fett falls into the into the pit of Sarlacc. And it'll be digested <laughs> for a thousand years, right? Yeah, um, that's pretty gruesome. But I I think it's even more gruesome what's going with all the tentacles and uh, I th- I think the description like you're saying of Thog, what Thog looks like, not just when Conan's hacking on him, but when uh, Natala's looking at at you know the face of Thog. Um, it's very Lovecraftian. Looking down and looking up at the you yeah, can't kind tell of a, it's above her or below her. Yeah, kind of a, a non-Euclidean geometry type of uh, type of thing, which which Indeed. Lovecraft was very very big on. So, uh, in in thinking about how that that ties in uh, um, to the the like w- one of the things that's going on in Red Nails is is I was saying there's uh, sort of a feud in the city. Mm-hmm. Apparently that is taken from, you know, <clears throat> Texas feuds where there would be a family in one side of the valley and a family on the other side of the valley and a feud that lasts, you know, 40 years where people on either end of the valley are getting, you know, cousins and brothers killed off and that keeps the feud going. Um, in this case, um, I was thinking about, you know, Thog at the center, at the bottom of this city He's the big black mass, right? Mm-hmm. The amorphous black mass that makes the city uh, the place where the city is founded, where the castle is built. Um, it's like sort of the mad lady in the attic, but also uh, who's being kept there in a very gothic way for um, the reason is she owns the estate, so you can't kill her, right? Yeah. Um, but you also don't want to spend any time with her because she's mad, right? Uh, why do the people in the city live? Keep living in in this city? Every time Thog comes out, they all ru- freak out and rush outside, except for uh, Thalys, right? Who's who's got a really interesting attitude towards towards uh, destiny and fate until it actually comes to her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then that'll snap you out of it, Thalys. Yeah, it really. Uh, I mean, yeah, it, it, we can all be philosophical about you know death is coming for us all, but it's not a big deal because. Uh, there's no way to avoid it, but then when death's actually here, you might panic a bit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> especially if it's from, uh, from the likes of Thog. But I was thinking that Thog is is actually the oil as well. I, I was going to say I could I could feel you leading up to that the big amorphous black mass underneath everything that that is the cause for the drug addiction and the cause for everyone being there and. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's unseen until, uh, you know, it comes out and gushes all over you. <laughs> um, th- there's something, there's something, uh, it, it also helps that it's in the middle of a desert, right? Yeah. But, um, it, there's, there's something, I mean, I, I, I think fundamentally Howard's not completely wrong about, about, you know, civilization and barbarians, uh, being stronger than the civilized, you know, mm-hmm. people do get soft, right? <laughs> Living in uh, societies, we we end up worried about trigger warnings and 
and, uh, you know, sexism. But in a society like uh, the one you're seeing in this place, sexism isn't really, you know, even a word yet. Right. And uh, th- th- there, the the limitations on what it can be to be a woman there is you find a strong man, right? So, yeah, I'm getting more and more sympathy for uh, poor Thallus. Yeah, it's all, it's um, also, I, I think, uh, at, at least for someone who's uh, experiencing it for the first time, it's it's kind of a an introduction to, to Conan's character uh, in a way because uh, as much of a, you know, no-nonsense uh, barbarian he is, Sumerian, you know, he he makes moral judgments too. You know, these yeah. these morons, these degenerates. You know, uh, so he's he's coming from a place of, uh, you know, he's got his own code of ethics. He does, and it, it's it's uh, there was something. I mean, one of the things is Natalia was a slave, right, and. He, he stole her rather than like paid for her. Right. Uh, but he also didn't. It didn't say anything about him freeing her. Right. He didn't steal her in order to free her. Uh, but on the other hand, she uh, she there's a line about how her morality. Uh, no, her safety is um, all bound up with his morality of you know. Right. Yeah, he slaps her on the ass, <clears throat> but he also won't cheat on her. Yeah, and plus she's in a better situation with him now as his, uh, uh, you know, uh, slave girl than she would be if he left her there. So. Right. <laughs> right. So he did affect kind of a rescue. There's a there's a, a very um, cool metaphor also about you know at, right at the beginning we get this the backstory with um, before they even get into the city. They're uh, Prince Almuric, who's I don't know a Cothonian king, or uh, he's he took a bunch of uh, he's a rebel prince, right? And he takes a bunch of soldiers into uh, Stygia, and they do battle, and they keep pushing, they keep pushing. And then um, it was like a great river, says Howard, um, flowing into the desert, and it became a trickle, right? And then that's the point where we are in the story where they've just got a trickle of water left. And I said, oh, yeah. So, like, Conan and Natala are, like, the end of that river as it's soaking into the, into the dust. We get a reference back to Elmuric dead with 40 arrows in him. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, and then uh, I like that they start with, you know, a canteen full of water, um, you know, in the desert. And that's how they end too, right? Yep, Canteen yep. full of water in the desert, you know, the, the gold bars and, you know, beautiful tapestries and the golden wine and all the stuff that, you know, all the technology that makes this a, a rich and decadent place, not to mention that black lotus yep. that they don't really touch, right, um, is all left behind as it, like it's cursed, yeah, you just I, need I, some I th- water. Get back out in that desert. Yeah, I think at at uh, at that point in the story, he even states that uh, I think the desert will be kinder, something like that. Mm-hmm. So, and and that actually parallels, if you remember, um, when Thallus is talking about how she got to the city. It's exact same way. She was uh, in a. She was like a Natala. Yep. Of of uh, a prince of Sty- a rebel prince of Stygia, who. Uh, fought his way uh, into the desert, um, then 
went looking for a new place to live. Mm-hmm. Right. So the the parallels, like if you think like Thalys is, yeah, she's she's the she's the heavy other than Thog. <laughs> she's the heavy in this story, and she she yeah she wants to whip up the, whip up some uh, anger um, from uh, that whip, <laughs> but she also. She also is, she is essentially Natala without a Conan. Right. Right. That's, and it becomes that's, that that's what happens when when the barbarian doesn't save you. Uh, the, yeah. The, that's what happens when you get sucked into this civilized society. Yeah. And I think it it's like yeah, there's a lot of sort of clunky coincidence coincidence stuff going on there, uh, but. Yeah, and I think it makes it one of the worst Conan stories. But one of the worst Conan stories by one of the best writers of Pulp Fiction mm-hmm. is still a pretty good story. Yeah, it's a, definitely I, I uh, had fun with it once I grasped like uh, you know uh, what the atmosphere was. I didn't know what to expect, um, and, but you know, and it was definitely uh, more. Uh, more comic bookish or you know superheroish than than I expected, but it, it was kind of a pleasant surprise. Was was uh, Howard uh, in, in his stories? Did it uh, did the the sexual element come into it a lot? Because that that really yeah. that really surprised me. It was re- really kind of smarmy, you know. Well, uh, it's it's a, a little more obvious in this one. Um, it, like one of the things that Howard was smart at that that Lovecraft was not smart at is marketing. <laughs> Howard <laughs> marketing opportunity. He, he made the cover way more than, uh, than Lovecraft did. Lovecraft's stories, you know, they, they only really started. I don't think they even made the cover during his lifetime. So after he died, I think they give him a few weird tales covers, but generally he got, uh, you know, some interior art, but Howard almost always got the cover. And that's because he knew what Farnsworth Wright wanted, sure. which is uh, a beautiful Margaret Brundage um, uh, painting on the cover with beautiful women maybe whipping each other or, <laughs> um, you know, torturing each other or kissing each other, something like that, right? And so, yeah, uh, that scene, it doesn't really need to be in this book, yep. right? But that gratuitous uh, sort of sexual enjoyment uh, at whipping uh, this young attractive uh, blonde <laughs> nude uh, makes a great cover yeah oh yeah yeah uh. <laughs> but yeah i mean he he's usually he he uh, howard likes to have sort of uh sexually interesting and active women but usually they have much more um uh i mean this is one of the weakest howard women there is and she's not completely weak right she she uh helps conan at the end sure she gets her stab in on thallus and and not to mention thallus is pretty badass yeah absolutely um but yeah in in that other story story red nails um conan doesn't even get a you know get to put a slap on uh on the girl <laughs> he'd like to but she's she's kind of badass and, and won't let him right uh yeah and uh, and he he seems to have um like there's there's a, some temptation there uh yeah with, oh, with absolutely. him uh 
but uh, whether it's circumstance or a decision uh, th- that he overcomes it is uh, is is questionable. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, so there's another. I think my favorite of all Howard's stories of Conan is uh, it's called Queen of the Black Coast, and um, it's it's uh, the main character is is uh, this woman uh, Belit. Um, she's the queen of the Black Coast. She's uh, captain of a. Uh, she's another queen, right? <laughs> uh, she's the captain of a of a basically a pirate fleet. Okay. And uh, she takes Conan on as like second mate or first mate, and um, literally as first mate as well as you know mating with him. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, her, she actually runs. It's interesting because Conan survives the story, but she runs the story, right? She, her desire to get revenge, um, her desire to get gold, her desire to, you know, exceed uh, her reach, exceeding her grasp, is what drives that story. And um, the fact that Conan survives it is up to her. Wow. And. It's a very powerful um, story, and it, because it has a really noir, awesome ending, um, it makes it just super powerful. Like the basically at the end of the story, the ship's burning, all the gold is in the ocean, girls dead, all the all the sailors are dead, and Conan's like on a beach and beside the jungle with a sword, and really sad because the love of his life is just died in, in oh, wow. pursuit of all that stuff. So it's got a lot of um, uh, he's really actually very good. Um, and I don't think people should uh, be sort of put off by the fact that there's a lot of coincidence going on in here. Cause I think that it is, it is sort of Howard's way of saying, well, I guess I could do a Gothic. Oh, Conan won't like this. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> grumping the whole time. Yeah, That's interesting. Cause I don't think I would have picked up on that, but, uh, you've, uh, you've definitely won me over on that. I think that's absolutely, uh, uh, what, what happened here? I, I, mm-hmm. I did get the sense that, you know, he was, he was, he was kind of having fun with it and, and it, uh, yeah. uh, but, but all those tropes and when you put it all together, it just makes perfect sense. So mm-hmm. I, I, I quite like this story and I, I, I'm not quite finished through, uh, your reading of it, but I, I, I am enjoying it a lot. I, one of the things you, you see in the comics and this is uh, sort of a. I was wondering how you were going to handle it. Um, is I mean, the entire book is almost done in Stygian, right? Like they don't ever say you know different words. It's always the same, no matter what. But right. one of the things they do in in the comics is when Conan talks, instead of having like a round balloon, he has like a sort of a rough hewn balloon, oh, yeah. a, a word balloon. Okay. Uh, because he's got like. It's like maybe that's accent or something. Okay. And I was like, I, I was thinking, I, I hope Wayne June doesn't like give him like a, a Stygian accent. No, I, or whatever. I, 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 my only uh, real um, uh, exposure to the Conan character uh, before this was Arnold, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, okay. You don't want to be Arnold. No, you don't want to do Arnold's voice. <laughs> you know, that, 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 would, that would just be. Uh, 
I don't know. Uh, uh, like, like that's, that's his take on it. That's the, the casting of Arnold in that role. Uh, you know, it, it perfect casting in terms of physicality. And he, mm-hmm. he established the, the foreignness of the character through his own accent, of course, but you don't want to do that, you know? Uh, no. Um, Conan is actually quite a talker in other stories. Um, not, com- not this one particularly, but he he's a smart he's a smart guy in here he's grumpy <laughs> that's the main thing but um there is there's something cool about about this story that makes it uh, other than it's it's a sort of pulpy breezy one and a half hour sort of story it's got i mean i i really like what fred van lenty did in that uh adaptation showing showing these guys hooked up to ivs right that's not <laughs> mentioned in the story right Yep. But having actual, like, you can smoke it, right? <laughs> you can smoke your Black Lotus, or you can chew your Black Lotus, or you can just, like, have it piped right in. Sure, and, sure. And that's, um, uh, in fact, I think there's a line right before they they get into the into that, that first house in the city. Uh, it said uh, it was, uh, it was dressed, decked out like an opium den or something like right. that. Right, yep. The, the den of an opium smoker and so like there was a, in the comic book versions like big you know tapestry with a dragon on it you know chasing the dragon it's it's very cool um to think about like even in a sort of pulpy adventure story with a giant monster and a lady with a whip he manages to put in enough backstory to make you sort of really um it's it's still interesting. Yeah, and I think the way he derived those particular characters uh, was it was interesting as well. In that, you know, uh, gives you the picture of the the opium in, inundated culture, and mm-hmm. and they're they're the yellow skinned people, you know. Yeah, <laughs> no, there's a racist element in here, absolutely. Yep. Um, it, the the idea, you know, this is this is China in decline, right? This is. Um, uh, in fact, that's that's a really good analogy because of, you know the hermit kingdom, right? Keeping keeping themselves uh, and their borders sealed and not uh, letting anybody in, and then uh, they've got a rot from within. Mm-hmm. It's sort of decadence collapsing. Um, so yeah, that's that's uh, it is. It's kind of a yellow peril story where the yellow peril is the degeneracy rather than. Uh, it's a self harm. <laughs> yeah, and, and and it's also sort of a cultural observation in that uh, in a frontier town, you know, like uh, uh, as you were saying, like in the gold rush days, uh, San Francisco out in that area, you sure. know, there was a big uh, uh, presence of the, of that culture. There uh, or were taking advantage of employment opportunities, so there was a big, you know, quote unquote Chinatown thing going on there. So. Uh, that fits in with that trope as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope you do more of these because um, I I didn't start with the worst one because it was the worst. <laughs> I started with the worst one because it had Lovecraftian elements that I think. I mean, there there are other stories where he uses Lovecraftian elements, but not another Conan story. Right. Um, as far as I. I don't think there's another Conan story with as big a Lovecraftian element. What, what would the you other, recommend to uh, to uh, a person just uh, experiencing that for the first time? What do you think uh, the next Conan read should be? 
you know what's so good about uh, the way Howard wrote them is they're all out of. There's no order that uh, you need to read them in. Okay. They are all um, mixed. I mean, there's a novel called The Hour of the Dragon, which is an early novel uh, for Conan, but actually is uh, set at the end of his career. Right? He's a king. Okay. Um, uh, I I think everyone should start with uh, just any random one that they pick up. There's there's a few that are sort of outliers. Uh, there's a, a, a really short story that is it's almost in fact it wasn't even a Conan story when he first wrote it. it was just a sort of a uh, youthful um, uh, Viking sort of dude, and then he he changed it okay. to Conan. But yeah, I I think you can start with the Slithering Shadow, or you can start with um, uh, Red Nails, or um, there's one called Beyond the Black River. That's a good one. Okay. And of course, um, the greatest one of them all, uh, The Queen of the Black Coast, I think. It has an epicness to it. And when Marvel did the adaptation, uh, I think they started with issue 60, uh, where they have the sort of the first half of the story, and then uh, the final uh, half of the story is issue 100. Okay. And everything in between uh, is, you know, summed up by like one or two paragraphs, very short paragraphs in the middle of the story. It says, and they wrote, you know, they raided and roved for years, right? Harrying the coasts of blah, 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 blah. And then uh, in the comics, they just filled that in with like 40 issues of <laughs> awesome adventure. Uh, wow. Doing, yeah, it's, it's some of the greatest mm-hmm. comics ever. Right, um, and that's the thing is is the tie between pulp style adventure and comic books is very. I mean, comic books are the legacy of pulps. Sure, right. The thing that killed the pulps was not radio or TV, because radio and TV couldn't do what uh, pulps could do in terms of like yeah, there was a shadow radio show as well as a shadow. Uh, you know, uh, not the slithering shadow, but you know the shadow right. uh, radio show, and there was a shadow pulp, but uh, the shadow is essentially a superhero, right? And superheroes uh, are straight out of the pulps with uh, uh, the man of bronze, right? Sure, uh, Doc Savage. Name? Doc Savage. He's he he's he's a pulp superhero with a super team, right? He's got a a super team. He's he's a Batman, and he's a bunch of guys all rolled into one. So after the thirties, the forties, they begin they start getting superheroes going, and uh, in the seventies, uh, they pick pick up this legacy of of uh, Howard, and just blow. I mean, this is the 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 Conan the Barbarian comics and the Savage Sword of Conan, which is the ad, sort of the adult version of like there's no comics code. I, did you get to see? Did I send you the um, Roy Thomas adaptation from uh, Savage Sword number twenty? I'm not sure which one I I saw, but is it I, color? I, uh, color, 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 color. Yes, it was. It, yes. Okay, so that's the modern uh, one from like two years ago or last year or this year. Just came out as a uh, um, magazine. So the Savage Sword is from I think seventy seven, nineteen seventy seven, and it has essentially nudity. Uh, it doesn't actually have nudity, but it has essentially nudity. It has, uh, you know, heads being lopped off. And that's back in the 70s when, you know, they weren't even allowed to have blood in comics and no death. Right. Um, they put it out under a magazine. 
started under Curtis Publications so that it was separate from Marvel, right? So they don't get in trouble with the Comics Code Authority. Yeah. And it just really has great kick-ass stories for, like, uh, I picked up on it in the early 80s. Uh, and went back and collected all the old issues. Just amazing pulp adventure. Wow. And so many of it, so many of them are either straight up adaptations of of the stories, like issue 20 of uh, Savage Sword is just the Slithering Shadow, and it runs like 60 pages. Um, and, or they take, you know, another Howard story and then just do what they call freely adapting it. Right. Which means they just take out the main character and put in Conan, right? <laughs> so there's uh, there's like um, Conan finds a lost valley in, in some place, and instead of it being Alexander the Great's uh, kingdom, it's uh, Iskander's kingdom, which is another name for Alexander, right? Mm-hmm. Iskander. And, you know, crocodile men and bird men, vampires, flying vampires, walking zombies, all sorts of things need to have their heads chopped off. Wow. That's, that's, I, that sounds like I, I have to pick up on that uh, because uh, I, it, that sounds like a, uh, it, it's, it's a perfect um, uh, area for especially Marvel to get into. It was. Uh, because they were like, you know, um, as they came on the scene and developed, they were always sort of the, the dark side, you know, whereas DC – what mm-hmm. was uh, almost squeaky clean uh, in comparison uh, the 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 humanness and uh, vulnerability of the heroes and you know the self doubt and the existential uh, uh, anxiety uh, of uh, of the heroes themselves you know that's something that was something new leaning toward the dark side you know and yep. so for for marvel to have picked up on it uh, it just makes perfect sense yeah, and the art is uh, stunning. Um, uh, John Busema, I guess is how his name's pronounced, sure. uh, and Alfredo Alcala, and back as he was na- known then, Ernie Chan or Ernie Chua, I think. A lot of the a lot of uh, Filipino artists, just amazing. Yep. These skilled artists doing all these uh, busty ladies and big armed barbarians. It's amazing, amazing, amazing reading. Yeah, I used to love the. Uh, the Warren comics. You familiar with those? I am. Yeah. Creepy yeah. and eerie. Uh, mm-hmm. At one, they're out in uh, new hardcovers. Yeah, and, and um, I wish I had uh, the name of that company. That, that that I mean, they're hiring some of the same artists and the, and the whole thing from uh, from the Warren days. Um, I wish I had that name handy. I don't, but uh, but uh, look that up if you're you were into Warren comics because that's uh, mm-hmm. that's this back on the scene again. The, yeah. I mean, that was uh, that stuff was just so so <laughs> over the top great, you know. Um, There's a lot of um, uh, I was I was going yesterday through a bunch of old, you know, sort of adult comics, kind of like um, heavy metal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marvel had their own version of of that, and you know, Richard Corbin, who's still who's still doing art, as far as I can tell. Yep, absolutely. Um, did a ton of adaptations of Poe. Did a, a ton of um, his own sort of creepy takes on all sorts of famous stories, Frankenstein and all sorts of things. Um, and there's so much richness there in, in the, in this sort of the non superhero comics. Yep. I, I was going through yesterday. There's this, um, great artist named Pepe Moreno. Sure. Um, 
I'm not sure who where he's from or anything, but he seems to be obsessed with New York. And there's this great comic called Rebel from 1984, and it's it's basically he just walked out of the theater after watching. Uh, you know, Mad Max and uh, Escape from New York and said, I'm doing that. <laughs> so he's got uh, basically a futuristic New York with one of the one of the Twin Towers half destroyed at the beginning of the story. Wow. And and the bad guys who are basically Nazis at the top of the other one, uh, it's, you know, dominating the city. And then there's a, uh, a gang with a heart of gold uh, uh, who, you know, drive around in in hot rods and and, uh, you know, cool mystery machine style. Uh, vans and uh, fight the man. Yeah. <laughs> and um, at the end of the at the end of the book, um, they win by blowing up the second tower and like, whoa, the visuals in here are <laughs> going to be um, not what you uh, expect. But it's it's like um, there's there's a lot of power in visualizing. And what I love so much about Howard is. He loves description of, you know, the steely thews of, of, of Conan, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a word. That word thews. Yeah. Muscle, I've never muscle. seen anybody. That's what it means. I've never seen anyone use it other than Howard. Like, <laughs> it's, you know, Lovecraft has a lot of words attributed, you know, Eldritch, et cetera. And people make fun of him for that. But thews or, you know. <laughs> The fact that everybody in this story is cat-like, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's a jaguar. He's a lynx. He's li- uh, pantherish, uh, right? Yep. Uh, his his head is forward and ducked between his shoulders, and <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty fun stuff. And I think it really uh, it comes alive in audio as well. That yeah. His uh, one one thing I noticed about his uh, the um, you know the battle scenes. They really, oh, man. They, yeah. they really flowed. They just, they just, really they take you over and go, you know, and, uh, yeah. that's definitely a strength of his. And I, <laughs> I can see why, uh, uh, Conan was not left on the cutting room floor. I can see why he, uh, really took advantage of that because he does it very well. It's, it's so interesting to compare him to Lovecraft because he is highly influenced by Lovecraft, but only in the most surficial sort of manner. Yep. He'll take He'll take a, uh, you know, the idea of of elder gods and say, yeah, that's great. Now, how can Conan kill them? <laughs> or like he has, you know, uh, there's a story called the Black Stone in which some modern day guy goes to Romania on vacation, sort of like a, uh, you know, sort of like Dracula. You know, he's just he's he's on vacation and he goes to some uh, countryside place and there's a a, a cult that. You know, reappears every midsummer, spring, or midfall ceremony day, right? <laughs> and he sees it and he he faints. But uh, even when he does basically a complete ripoff of of Lovecraft, it's still his own. It's got this uh, sort of elegance of color. Yep. There's yep. color in everything he does, not just you know the. Um, the color of uh, somebody's hair or their alabaster skin or anything like that, or their yellow skin, right? Yeah. Their slanty eyes or whatever. But there's color in the tapestries. There's color in every uh, particle of sand. And it, you don't see it. It's almost the opposite of Lovecraft where yeah, it's uh, the Lovecraft's, absence, uh, right? Lovecraft's uh, 
whole approach you mentioned uh, some something uh, akin to this before uh, is uh, you know uh, the 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 monster the elder god the 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 horrible thing makes its appearance and you faint or you get eaten that's right uh, but uh, uh, with uh, with Robert Howard, he seemed he wades in on it, you know. It's, oh, yeah. a, it's like it's not even a second thought, you know. Uh, and yeah. and and Lovecraft would never do that because it's hopeless with him, you know. Mm. But with uh, you know, with Conan, it's not hopeless because uh, you know, if uh, if the if if Thog is not dead, uh, at least he's <laughs> worse off than me, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh no, yeah, he he said there's a line in there, is it? One can't battle gods without getting a little damage to one's skin or something yeah. like that, right? <laughs> yeah, oh, to get a whole, get away with a uh, whole skin. Yeah. yeah, which is true when uh, you think about it. So. It probably is. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the Lovecraftian characters they they come away, you know, psychically damaged. Conan comes away physically damaged. Yeah, and there's there's so much physicality in Howard's writing that it it. it it's it's a compliment to uh, Lovecraft when you read it. I actually didn't. I started with with Howard. I read all of Howard stuff, and then I kept hearing Lovecraft's name associated with Howard. Mm-hmm. And I subs, you know, it was far later that I got into Lovecraft. But I love Lovecraft. But I I think uh, there's something really compelling about Howard's writing too. It's just a completely different sort of compliment having having the physicality and sort of the fighting against uh, the inevitability rather than um, uh, being broken by the inevitability. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely sold after this. I think, uh, I think there's going to be more uh, Robert E. Howard in my future. Awesome. It's just, uh, he, uh, he, he's like it, like you've been saying, he's got, he's got the uh, Lovecraftian elements, but he does just something totally different with it. So he does. The, the, the color you were, you were mentioning is not only in the uh, descriptions of the scenes, but you know, it's also, it's also in the attitude. There's life there. Uh, uh, HP mm-hmm. Lovecraft is bleak and gray and just shades of gray. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, I mean, there's blood flying everywhere here, you know, it's, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, it, 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 he's, he's a lot more sexual too. <laughs> yep. Lovecraft, you know, if it's there, it's repressed below the surface, uh, very deeply <laughs> repressed. Yeah. Um, yeah, I get the impression Bob was a, <laughs> Bob, uh, Robert E. Howard was a, was a little Randy character. And, he was uh, <laughs> a lot lustier, yeah. And uh, it, I, I did, I did get the sense at first. It was, uh, you know, first impression that um, you said before it was uh, superfluous, and that <laughs> that reminded me of a uh, sort of a an Elizabethan English phrase that I picked up somewhere. It's a, a superfluousness. Uh, superfluity of naughtiness <laughs> that's, mm. that's the that's the that's the way it struck me but uh i'm i'm sure that if that element uh goes throughout uh howard's stuff uh i think i just have to remember it's uh you know it's um it's almost a tongue-in-cheek kind of thing and as you oh it is yeah. and you said uh, as you said like a a marketing ploy to get on the cover <laughs> he was he was a he's a pretty good marketer he got on the cover a lot um, but uh, it, this is about as extreme as it gets as well. I mean, there, there's a lot of sexuality, um, but it's, 
the thing is, is there were markets for much more, you know, uh, you know, there was, uh, I love the word they had for it back then. And you go to the, go to the um, newsstand, right? And there's all these, you know, 50 or 60 different fiction mags there, railroad man's magazine and, you know, uh, uh, air stories and Zeppelin stories, right? (laughs) Stories for every kind and. And then they have this other sort of section where, you know, detective and true detective and true romance, right? And then there's the whole other section that's spicy detective. <laughs> <laughs> and spicy is the is the phrase meaning sex, yeah. right? Yeah. So they'd have spicy detective and spicy mystery and spicy adventure and... <laughs> well, like I, I didn't 40 or 50 different spicy magazines I, d- I didn't realize there was a whole genre devoted to that oh yeah everything everything that they sell you know today was sold then just with you know diff- it came in a different package it didn't come in books right twilight is nothing new right yeah, yeah. um and the thing is is uh, i think some people can say you know oh it's sexist so sexist uh, you know like how they say about how uh or not Howard Lovecraft being racist uh, Howard's racist too yes that that's all true and they're sexist absolutely but um, I read the original weird tales all the time for my PDF page going through finding uh, you know new stuff for the public domain yeah and I'll tell you there are tons and tons of women write uh, women writing in to the letters column saying please put more Margaret Bungage naked women on the cover. <laughs> Please uh, keep the the story spicy, right? And it's not like just a whole bunch of lascivious men who uh, who is like, oh boy, I'm taking this home. I'm going to read it with one hand. <laughs> no, rather, um, it's a whole bunch of women reading it uh, and enjoying it as well. Um, women have sexuality, and they liked they liked weird tales. Yeah. Trust me. Uh, and, you know, the other thing, tons of women writers in Weird Tales as well. Oh, really? Which, really? yeah. I mean, most people don't uh, know about them because there's, you know, Howard and Lovecraft and there's, a you know, a few others that are famous. But um, um, tons and tons of poetry by women. Um, s- some great ones. Uh, Dorothy Quick is one of my favorites, who is a friend of, uh, as a child, she was a friend of um, Mark Twain. Wow. Okay. And um, uh, so Maud Lettington Kane, great poet, um, and of course there was um, some actual you know name writers who are escaping me right now who wrote fiction. But it it is yeah it's sexist. But it's actually I wanted to tell you this thing that happened. I'm reading this story, uh, the comic book version, with my students, and one uh, I had a. a a ten-year-old student who's reading this with me—I thought that was hilarious—and um, and we're on page like uh, ten of the uh, comic book adaptation, and they're just entering the city, and Conan says, "Keep behind me, girl," and then uh, the, the next line is, "Oh, Conan!" Right? <laughs> um, but uh, at that point, uh, she stopped me. Chloe stopped me and said, "Why is he calling her a girl?" <laughs> Because <laughs> she's a woman, right? Yeah. Um, and I said, "Oh, he's sexist." <laughs> and then we kept going on the story, and we, you know, go down and keep reading, and it's it's fun stuff. Yep. yep. yeah, he's sexist. You, you you understand? That doesn't mean you can't read it. You just keep reading. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, 
if if that's her introduction to it, then that's good. That's a, that's yeah. that's a place to start learning. You know. That's oh yeah, we we learned a ton. The other thing is the other thing is I in reading through in the comic book, um, visualizing what actually is said. You know, like one of the funny things is is Conan's like he's grumpy from page one, right? But he he comes into the city. This guy attacks him, right? He chops his head off, and then um, he's, what if someone saw us? Aren't won't they kill us? Says uh, the girl sensibly, Natala, right? Yeah. Very sensibly, and he says, "Oh, hide the evidence." So he throws he throws the um, <laughs> body and the head down the well. Yeah, I love that. Is, of course. Yeah. But then she says, "There's blood on the stones," <laughs> and he says, "Wow, well, whatever." Yeah, there's going to be more blood on it before I'm finished. You know? That's right. Like <laughs> he, he's not thinking very far ahead. Yeah. This is basically Conan as at his stupidest, and we get we we get that later on when um, when he's fighting Thog, it says you know like a crimson mist descended over his eyes or something, right? Yeah. It's like he's got his his blood is up and he's 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 all ready to kill. He's not thinking very hard. When uh, whenever he's in the city, he's he's just he's just basically angry, <laughs> and he's he's blinded by that anger. So um, don't let anybody who has just read this story as their first introduction to Conan. Don't let the blind uh, you know sort of bullheaded uh, grumpiness of Conan in this story be a complete guide to what he's like because this is him i've never seen him this grumpy uh, well I'm, I'm looking forward to finding out more about him and, and getting to know him and 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 seeing what he's like in different situations because uh he's uh 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 for all for all the possible goofiness of it there's uh, there's a great character there this has been the sff audio podcast Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. Awesome. I think uh, I think we scared my wife though. Oh shit! Sorry. No, she. I. Uh, Is there a slithering shadow somewhere in the house? <laughs> no, but I. Uh, I got out of bed before like five p.m. So she's like, "What the hell are you doing up?" Yeah. <laughs> Something wrong. I know. All right. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. I'm bringing the microphone closer. <clears throat> and uh, here we go. Oh, that didn't sound like coffee. Uh, Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> I see. They call it different things in different places. Yeah. Okay. All right. Here we go.